Well, it's uh, great to be here again. And um, last uh, su- Sunday night, I got to share some time with uh, the leadership and kind of listen in to all that was shared last Sunday morning. And, and as I listened into all that, I said, I got, uh, I've got to listen to it myself. And so I uh, went online and listened to Josh's message about getting your feet wet. And, and I listened to it once, and I said, uh, it's not enough. And I hit my app on my phone and listened to it again. And, and after listening for it two times, I scrapped, I called an audible, and I scrapped the message that I had planned. And that's really bad because it was a great message, and you'll never be able to hear it. But... Uh, <laughs> But in light of what Josh shared, in light of what he uh, was able to just kind of unpack from his own heart, as well as from a text of Scripture, there was just this sem- sense of prompting to go back and pick up the same theme, and pick up the same passage of Scripture, same place, same story, and go back into it again. Not to add anything to Josh, because as I have told him often, every time I'm here and sitting under his leadership and his teaching... I am so honored to get to do that, and I always walk away with pretty amazing. And, but I don't want to add to it, but amplify it. Not so much repeat it, but perhaps reinforce some of what he shared last week. So that's, that's where we're going to be headed this morning. So some of you are saying, well, I was here next week, so I could just kind of zone out for the rest of the message. Absolutely not. Um, and for those of you who weren't here, you'll have an opportunity to maybe get a little bit of cliff notes on what we talked about and what Josh shared with you last week. So I want to pray, and then we're just going to go back in to the same story, same place in that beautiful narrative of Scripture, and find ourselves in that story once again this morning, okay? So let's pray to that end. Father, there is nothing hidden from your eyes, and that's good for us. It should be reassuring, not frightening knowing that you know exactly where we are in terms of our relationship to you, understanding of you, your pursuit of us. And so we're all here this morning anxious, wanting to sit literally on the edge of our seat, so to speak, and allow you to take us further in that journey. And for some, Father, they've come maybe for the first time, and they're curious, maybe even skeptical. Uh, May their eyes be open to uh, who you are today. Um, we pray that the entire experience this morning, watching people share lives with one another, sense of community, they'll sense, wow, that's something I would love to enjoy. And may they be drawn into this incredible sense of, of a fellowship that is rooted around loving one another because of your great love for us. And for those of us who call Charles River our home, may we uh, lean in a little bit further because we know, as Josh shared last week, there's... Uh, There are some places and steps you want us to take as a body. And we want to be so in sync with that. But we know that everything you give to us cannot be matched, cannot compare with the greatest gift when you gave us yourself through your son Jesus. And it's because of him that we're able to share what we share today. And we pray this, uh, uh, even as Josh is sharing now, that uh, you would do the amazing right here this morning. And call people to yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever found yourself with this deep sense of anticipation that you're about to enter into some kind of season, a moment when you just have a sense something pivotal, definitive, maybe something big, extraordinary 
is about to happen. Not for sure what it's going to be, but you just have this sense. Something extraordinary, big, different, pivotal, defining moment is about to take place in your life. I can think of a lot of different things, but I can think of three distinct times in our lives, my wife and I's our life, as I look back to the birth of each one of our three children. Uh, you had this sense, and, and it started out as a baby bump, and then it turned into a human being bump, and then it turned into a let me out of here bump, and we knew something pretty spectacular was about to happen in our lives, and there was this deep sense of expectation, especially with our third child. Our third child, he was a little bit overdue. Our first child weighed seven pounds. Our second child weighed nine pounds. And our third child checked in at 11, 11. That's why we have three children. <laughs> but there was just this, wow, this was pretty amazing. You have those moments and you, 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 something's about to happen. And I think the same thing is true in, when it comes to this whole ideal of our relationship with God. I think there are moments and times, and that relationship is rooted and based upon our willingness to trust Him. And when there's, we're, we're kind of pregnant with faith, so to speak, and there's this sense that God is about to do something very extraordinary in our lives. It's not that He doesn't do extraordinary all the time, but this is one of those moments where you know that you're about to move towards something that will not leave your life the same. And you have those kind of a moments. And when you begin to get that sense, you also begin to have within you this sense of, I really want to see God in a supernatural way. I really want to see that. And you begin to kind of build it up in your own mind of what it might look like for you. And then you realize, and this is the part that sometimes we don't always get, that if God is about ready to do something extraordinary in our lives, He is going to call on us to elevate where we are in our lives. If God is about ready to do something great in our lives, then He wants us to move up in terms of our own faith and trusting Him in our greatness. So what we're going to do this morning is to go back into this story that we were last week, and if you have a copy of Scripture or you have a device, if you want to look at it, we're, we're not going to go through all 17 verses that Josh read last week and part of chapter 4 of Joshua chapter 3. It's in the Old Testament portion of Scripture. You start at Genesis, turn to your right, and about six or seven books in, you'll find it. But we want to go back to Joshua chapter 3. And as we do, I want to kind of set things up, if I can, from, from where we were. And what we have is uh, a whole new generation of Israelites who could trace themselves, and they were descendants of a man by the name of Abraham. And some 800 years before, God had chosen to bless this man like no other man that he'd ever blessed before. He came to him and he said to him, in this visionary moment, he said to him, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make your name so great that, that all the world will know about it. I'm going to make out of you nations uh, they're so numerous, they're going to be like the stars of the sky and the sand of the sea. And not only that, I'm going to give you a dwelling place. And the land is going to be vast, and it's, and it's going to be yours. And 800 years prior to this new generation of Israelites, God had made that promise. And all over those years, everyone kind of pointed to that promise. But over the past 40 years, that promise had kind of been lost. Because the, the preceding generation, their parents, 
had had a meltdown of confidence and faith in God. And even though they stood poised in the same way like this new generation of Israelites did, of a very promising future, they kind of backed away from it. And through unbelief, they just walked away from the promise that they knew God had given Abraham and now was passing on to them. Now all of that generation was dead. And now this new generation of Israelites stood poised just a day or so away from entering into the promise God had given their father Abraham 800 years ago. It was about to happen. Great anticipation. But there had to be a question in their mind. Would they be up to this moment? Would their faith in this moment be strong enough? Would it be the kind of faith that would move forward? Or would they find themselves dwelling and and fading away just like their parents had done? The big question probably for everyone looking was, you know, are we finished with the wilderness? Are we finished with the ways our parents lived? The generation that died in the wilderness. And prior to getting to this particular place in the story, Moses, who had led the children of Israel out of Egypt, who had watched that generation in unbelief turn away from the promises of God, had sat down with this new generation, and kind of like parents do before the kids go away to college, said, I've got to tell you something that you've got to know because I'm not going to be there with you. And then a new leader was put in place. His name was Joshua. And Joshua had been kind of the apprentice for Moses, and now Moses was dead. That meant that old generation was gone. And, and all of a sudden, the man of leadership fell on to Joshua. And if you read the story very carefully you realize that this guy was shaking in his boots with the responsibility. Because over and over again, you hear God say to Joshua, don't be afraid, I'm with you. Be strong and of good courage. He didn't say it once, he said it over and over again. You can imagine, how would you like to follow Moses? And with everything up for grabs, Joshua now is in this position of leadership. What's going to take place? On the other side was the promise. But in between... Where they were, and the promise, the land that God had promised Abraham and was now there, was a very real physical barrier. It was the Jordan River. Now, as you found out last week, but just to kind of recap real quick, if you read through the scripture and picked this up, there was one particular detail that Joshua makes sure you know. That river at that particular time that was usually kind of a fairly gently rolling river that was maybe 90 feet wide, perhaps anywhere from three to five feet deep, it was now during the harvest time. That meant it was during flood stage. And that river that was once 90 feet wide was now potentially up to a mile wide. It was fast and it was full and it was furious white water that had gone from three to five feet to something like 10 to 20 feet deep. So what they were looking at was essentially a river that, for all practical purposes, represented a bearer that was uncrossable, that was impossible. There was no way to get across. No way. And they had been there for three days watching this. And we hear as they look at it what they're told to do. But I want to pause here for just a second. Because I, I think sometimes the context of what this means for us is very important to understand. As I was thinking about this, I was thinking about the landscape of Boston, spiritually speaking. Uh, in the last 50 years or so. And what it is currently today. 
One of my responsibilities, I work with 60 church plants all across greater Boston, 5.8 million people. And we're all the time talking about how that we can plant life-giving churches in every neighborhood of Boston and every community in the greater Boston area. But one of the things you'll do is you drive through all of these various communities. If you look, you'll see these beautiful buildings, beautiful churches, architecturally rendered and developed and designed that once were very full of life. And now today, tragically, the only beauty is the beauty of the architect because on the inside, tragically, they're empty almost Sundays. A few Sundays ago, I happened to drop into one of those services just to see what it was like. And in this beautiful room on Commonwealth Street, one of the largest churches there that seats over 800, there were 11 people total. I was one of the 11. And what I'm saying to you is there's a generation that has come and gone, and for whatever reason, they have moved away from the faith. But I'm here to tell you, and Charles River, this is what's so exciting about what you heard last week. There is something new going on in Boston these days. And it's not just Charles River, but all across, there are, there, there's a stirring, and churches are being born, and people are planning their lives, and all of a sudden you're seeing churches that didn't exist five and six years ago, like Charles River. They're coming to life, and people are coming, and people are coming to faith. This past Easter, in 60 churches that did not exist seven years ago, over 7,000 people gathered in those churches. There's something new going on with a new generation. And it's exciting to see. And Charles River gets to be a part of it. So I want you to see, there is a promising future. And this generation was on the edge. And as we read on through the story, you will realize how that Joshua sent out a word to them, how that they were to, to keep their eye on the priest who would hold that very sacred box that Josh explained very carefully last week, the Ark of the Covenant, and they would go stand in the middle of this surging, raging river at flood stage. And they would follow them. <laughs> now, they didn't know what was going to happen. They just knew that's what they were told to do. They were to keep their eyes. They were to follow. And the Scripture says something very interesting. It's one of those phrases I love. It says to move out and follow them so that they will, so you will know where to go to a place you have never been before. My presence is with you. There's spiritual leadership in place that are following me, pursuing me, and I want you to keep in step and sync with that. So cross over to the other side. And then the key verse, which we're going to spend most of our time on this morning, says, Consecrate, Joshua says, yourselves for tomorrow. The Lord is going to do amazing things among you. And we'll come back to that verse a little bit later. But I want you to just kind of think back again to what last week was all about. You remember the rest of the story, the part that was the most fascinating story? Joshua said, you follow and they'll stand in the middle and you cross over, keep your eyes on them, don't go ahead of them, but stay in sync with them. Now, if you were Joshua at this particular moment, when you were getting ready for this fording of this raging river, what would you have been thinking about if you were Joshua? I would have been thinking, yeah, I remember the story Moses told about the Red Sea. He told it so many times we'll never forget it. 
And I remember how he did it. He had this staff, part of the water, we crossed over. So when God comes to jo- Joshua and says, here's what I want you to do this time. I, don't, I just want you to step into the water. And I have a feeling Joshua said, no, that's not how the story goes. The story goes, you part the water, then we cross over. He said, no, 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 we're going to do something different this time. Because God is a God of freshness and newness and always calling us to new things. And he says, no, this is how it's going to happen. And you remember, as soon as, and you can imagine, think about yourself. Raging, gurgling white waters at flood stage. You could be swept away, but as soon as they begin to move forward, you know what God does? 19 miles up the river, he stops it up in a heap so that they cross over on dry ground. Only after they stepped in. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. Now, little quiz real quick. Out of that story, Josh said there are three action steps to get us ready for the greater things God has in mind. Do you remember those three things? I'll, I'll just help you with them. They're up on the screen. Here were those three things that he said challenged us with to consecrate yourselves to step in and mark the moment if you weren't here you got the message right there all right consecrate yourselves step in and mark the moment now with that in mind i want to come back and i want to amplify and i want to reinforce the truths that josh shared last week okay you with me all right, let's go back into it for a moment. That verse, that one verse, consecrate yourselves, Joshua said, and I think in parentheses we could add today, for tomorrow, the Lord is going to do amazing things among you. Now, the first word of that verse 5 is the word, let's kind of wrap our thoughts around it for a minute. It's the word that is what? Consecrate. What does that word mean? It means, if you look it up, check it out, it means to set aside for sacred purpose. It's a deliberate, decisive action that says, everything I'm going to do from this point on is impacted by this one decision. And there come times in our life, and it's not just one time, but it's throughout our entire life, where God says, hey, it's ready. I'm time for you to, to declare this, set this aside, this time, this season, this vocation, this purpose in your life. It's time for you to set it aside. It's sacred, and everything's going to belong to me in this particular moment. Now, the word consecrate, there are actually two sides to it. Let's look at those two sides, all right? The first side is the get rid of side. In order to consecrate, there are certain things that have to be eliminated from our lives in a ruthless manner. There's certain things that are distracting, certain things that are negative, certain things that are destructive, certain things that are limiting, certain things that have taken away our devotion to Christ, our, our, our willingness to follow him further. You can call them anything that you want. You can call them acts of disobedience. You can call it sin. You can call it willfulness. You can call it sinfulness. You can call it a hot mess. Whatever you want to call it, it's that inclination of your heart that says, 
I, I, I want to do things this way. And God is saying, no, this is the direction I have for you. And they have a chokehold on your life. It may be a relationship that's taken priority over your relationship to Christ. It may be a pursuit of certain kind of goal or ambition in your life that has turned from an ambition to honor Christ to a very self-all-about-me kind of ambition. It could be any number one of those things. But that has such a grip on your life. And some of our thinking sometimes is a little bit skewed because whenever we're living that way, nothing terrible is happening in our life. So we're thinking that everything's all right with our life when in fact the truth of the matter is it's not that bad things are happening to your life because you're living out of God's will and purpose for your life and you're moving in a direction away from him and you're entangled in certain things that are very destructive in your life. It's not that God is allowing certain bad things to happen to you. It's that you're missing so much more over here. I think sometimes we think, well, I, you know, I, I don't have any pain in my life. I'm great. And God's saying, no, 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 no. There's so much more over here. And because you're all wrapped up in all of this over here, these entanglements that have got such a grip on your life, you're missing all of this. And that's perhaps the worst thing about sin and disobedience. Because of what we're missing. The life God has for us. And so whenever we start talking about consecration, we're talking about getting rid of things. And I know that you know one of the most challenging things for us who call ourselves Christ followers is to acknowledge those areas and pockets of our life, those things in our life that just really we know don't really compare, measure up in the sense of who we are called to be in Christ. And we don't know what to do with that. We don't know what to do when we mess up. We don't know what we could do whenever there's sin or there's addictions in our, our lives. And most of the time as Christ followers, what do we try to do? We try to keep those things what? Hidden. We try to keep them very secret. We're afraid if we share them, we're not for sure what other people will do with them. So we live this secret in our life. and We have all these secrets over here. And one of the challenges, I think, for us, for any Christ follower as a church, is to keep it real. To realize that every time you walk through those doors, it says everybody welcome, but it also says nobody is perfect. And by saying nobody's perfect, it's a humble attitude that acknowledges I just can't go through pretending there are struggles, there are issues, there are challenges in my life. And if you want to have real community, then all of that's got to, the hiddenness has got to come down so that you can really be known, so you can really be loved, so the healing can really begin, so the hiddenness doesn't become greater, and so it doesn't become a stronghold, so it doesn't do even further damage to your life. So one of the great things about gatherings like this on a given Sunday or in a community group is to be able to just open up your heart and say, God, what is in my life that has got a grip on me that's like an anchor to my life that I need to cut loose? To be very honest and open about it because on the other side is this promise of Jesus to begin a community that is a community of the forgiven, the community of those where grace, we stand in grace and we extend it to each other, and out of that grace comes healing. We are a community that is rooted together at the common ground of the cross. Get rid of. Get rid of. But there's another side to consecration, and that's the let go of. 
let go of. The word consecrate literally means full hands. Full hands. It means to come with everything that you are, everything about you, full hands, all in, every part of you, all out. It is not, and I think one of the times we've created is a dichotomy that says, Jesus is first in my life. And that suggests that there is a second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth in my life. It is not Jesus first in my life. It is not Jesus and in my life. It it should only be Jesus only, Jesus over my life. Every area of my life. He's the very center of He is the one who has the absolute control over every arena and direction, decision, relationship, value of my life. C.S. Lewis said, Christ says, give me all. I don't want so much of your money, work. I want you without reserve, without retreat, without regret. I want you. I want you to look at this quote up on the screen because it's one that I've heard first time 10 or 12 years ago and I I keep going back to it. And it's a good one to kind of take into heart this morning. It's from Mike Bro. God's will for your life is more about who you are becoming in terms of your relationship to God rather than where you are going or what you are doing. We can relax when we discover God has a future for my life and I don't have it. It's not in my mind, but rather in the heart and hands of Almighty God. I'm trusting that He knows what He's doing with my life. My responsibility is simply to draw close to Him and follow as He leads. To go wherever He wants to take me. Can we be cool with that? What a difference that makes. It means I'm going to follow God's leading even I don't know where He's taking me. It means I'm going to be willing to wait on God's, on God's timing even when I don't know when. I'm going to be willing to expect God to, to perform and to create that ord- extraordinary, miraculous moment in my life even when I don't know how. It means I'm going to be willing to trust God with His purpose for my life even when I don't know why or understand it completely. Here's what consecration is not. Here's one, and please listen carefully. It's not daily devotions. It's not keeping the Ten Commandments. It's not sharing your faith with your friends. It's not giving God the tithe. It's not volunteering for a ministry. It's not leading a small group. It's not raising your hands in worship. It's not going on a mission troop. All of those are very good things. But that's not consecration. Consecration is far more than behavior modification, more than conformity to a moral code, more than doing good deeds. It's something deeper, something truer. The word consecrate means, by definition, it demands my full, wholehearted, all-in devotion. It's the complete divesture of all self-interest. It's giving God veto power. It's surrendering all of you to all of Him. It's a simple recognition that every second of every time, every ounce of energy and every penny of money is a gift of, from God and for God. 
See, it takes it away from all of these activities and all of these expressions that are all good and of themselves, but if they're not motivated by this simple, complete, all in, all out, here I am, for the all in all. That's what consecration is. I appreciate those words I just shared with you from Mark Batterson because he puts it in a perspective we can see and perhaps better understand. Several years ago when I was the pastor of a church plant in Louisville, Kentucky, on any given Sunday morning, we would have people who walk in who had no, no understanding of what it meant to be a Christ follower. That was one of the purposes of our church, to be a safe place for unchurched people to come. And so people would come. And on one particular Sunday, there was a, a guy who looked like he had uh, probably in his mid-30s, but you could tell by the arms folded, scowl on his face, I'm only here because my friend invited me. I don't believe or buy into anything you have to say. So please don't try to convince me. But because of that relationship to, with that trusted friend, he continued to come. He happened to be single after going through a devastating divorce. And he began to go into our, that particular group and hang out with them. And he began to experience their genuine community and caring. And all of a sudden, he found the, the, the kind of the walls coming down to his heart. And as he began to follow, listen to that, he began to listen to the message. And as he began to listen to the message, he began to ask questions in well over a year period of time, talking to his trusted friend and talking to me and others. There came a day when this man who had been an avowed agnostic, never going to happen to me, crossed the line of faith and said yes to Christ. He just happened to be a ER doc in one of the largest emergency group, emergency room group in all of Louisville. Well, as Bill began to come to our services, this trusted friend soon became more than a trusted friend, became his fiance and had the privilege of marrying them. She was a Christ follower and, and I began to watch their lives. All of a sudden it was more about, you know, just, and she also was a physician. It was more about attaining the American dream. They were both in very highly well profaned professions. But somewhere along the way, God began to move their heart away from just being a, a, a Christ follower, showed up and did good things to their whole lives being fully His. And so they began, they, they made a decision. They said, we're going to put a cap on our salary, our cap on our lifestyle rather. And this is, we're not going to, we're going to live here and everything else we get is going to go for God's greater glory. They put a cap on their lifestyle. They could have been living in some very beautiful homes and very expensive homes, but they chose to cap it at a 1,200 square foot home in a very ordinary neighborhood. That enabled them to take more time off at work so they could do more global missions and medical missions with organizations like Samaritan's Purse and World Vision. We begin to talk to them. We say, hey, Bill, you and Lori, how about you be the visioneering for us? And why don't you go someplace and help us to see where we need to go as a, as a global, globally as a church? And so they found themselves in Cambodia and Laos. And as they were going from place to place, finally God opened up an opportunity for us to partner with a ministry in just outside of Phnom Penh, Cambodia. And so Bill and Lori begin to take our mission teams. We begin to go over there and God began to do some amazing, amazing things. But that wasn't enough for Bill and Lori. Over time, they said, how can we just go for six weeks? And they said, why don't we just give up our medical careers and go and be there full time? 
And so what they did, our church stepped up and said, we understand that you feel like you need to get a public health degree to add to your medical degree. And they said, yes, where's the best place? They said, it's Harvard. And so we paid for them to go to Harvard and get their degree in public health. So it would open up more doors for them in a place like Cambodia. This past December, and here's a picture of it, on the Harvard Medical Journal, their story was told because of what they're doing in Cambodia. And this past January, they went back to Cambodia and they went out in a very far-reaching place and through the government support, they're opening up a, a pediatric hospital for children, one of the greatest needs. And when I hang out with Bill and Lori, they're very, very close friends. And I see the trajectory of their life. It all went back to that moment when they said, all of us that there is for all of you, we're all in. It's consecration. It's consecration. And the amazing thing is, I've seen that in those kinds of ways. I've seen it in other ways. When I was pastoring a church in Knoxville, Tennessee, I'm giving you a little journey today. When I was pastoring in Knoxville, Tennessee, we were in one of those moments. It was an older church, and they were amazing things were happening. And we decided to step out in faith and expand our facility, and it was going to be a very costly endeavor. But the people said, let's just trust God for it. And, and, and the people said, instead of going into debt, let's just give it, and we'll find somebody to, we'll pay them as we go. And so people began to make incredible sacrifices. And on one given Sunday, we had a giving service, and the amount of money given that morning was almost 10 times larger than what the weekly offerings were ever before. What was so amazing about that experience for me was just before the service began that particular day, it was a knock on my door. On the other side was a mother who I had known along with her husband. Her husband had some addictive issues, and we had been trying to reach out to him. And he got crazy times. He had been violent. There had been abuse. We had been trying to reach out to that family. He, in a sane moment, had an open heart. But when he found himself in that addictive pattern, it, it, we, there was no way of having conversation with him, and the family was just barely making it through at a poverty level. And she came to me that morning with an aluminum pie pan full of loose change and dollar bills, and she said, I want to give this to the church. I believe that God's calling me to give this so that we can be a part of the future he has for us. And when I took it in my hands, I said, does your husband know about this? He said, no. I said, I, I can't take this. I don't want to put you in a bad place. I can't take this. You just hold on to this. And so she was somewhat disappointed. She took it, went back home. The next night, I had a knock on my door about 9.30 at night, and it was her husband. He was furious. He had, had gotten into one of those addictive spirals and we were having this back and forth conversation and he had that pie pan full of chains and dollar bills. And he said, Are, is our money not good enough for you? And it was a, a God moment for me. It was a special moment. And as I took the money from him, I put my arm around him and he began to weep and we had a great exchange there that moment 
But of all the gifts that we received, and the money was well into the hundred thousands of dollars on that given Sunday, the $27 that she gave in that pie pan meant more than all else. Why? Because it was all she had. And that's what consecration is about. She gave all in, all out. Consecrate yourselves. Get rid of. Let go of. And then what is the next word? What does it say? Amazing things will be done among you. God said through Joshua, tomorrow I'm going to blow your mind. What exceeds common expectations and amazing is going to become the norm and I don't have the time, but I, can, again, can go back and point out time after time, every time there was this, God, it's all yours, then God showed up in these amazing ways I could never have expected, even to the point of fact that today, Gail and I are in Boston. That's the amazing thing that God did after saying, hey, you said to me, your life is all mine. All mine. All in. So what I want to do to wrap this up is just take you through a series of questions. I've heard some stories. We've listened to Scripture, hopefully amplified, reinforced, hopefully made it personal. But here are the questions. Here's the first one. We'll walk through them together. What is standing between you and the future God has for you? What is standing between you and the future God has for you? What is it? What Jordan River that's impossible, uncrossable? What is it? What stands between you and the future God has for you? When Jesus came to Peter, James, and John, and they were netting their, they were tending their fish, their nets that were filled with fish. Jesus said, "You've done well in your career, and 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 that's a great life." But I want to show you this life, and you can either do this or you can do that. The life I've got for you is going to fish for men. I'm going to take you to places to where you have the opportunity to impact hundreds and thousands, and perhaps for all of eternity. This or that. What is standing between you and the future God has for you? Second question. Is your life filled with a sense of dangerous wonder? Do you live overwhelmed by God's awe, the way he shows up, the way he's calling you out, stretching you. Quote from a famous theologian, Julia Roberts, I'd rather have 30 minutes of something wonderful than a lifetime of nothing. Our lives should be all about, on a regular basis, God, where do you want to take me to where I can see you so supernaturally at work that unless you show up, God, it's not going to happen? Here's the third question. We've talked about it a lot this morning. What is the condition of your heart? What do you need to get rid of? What do you need to let go of? What is it? This last week, I sat down with a young professional who's in the finance world. I had been his former pastor while I was up in New Hampshire. We're having a conversation, he's struggling with various things, and I started talking about this whole ideal of being all in and all out. And he's very successful. He's very committed to, to being a Christ follower. But his biggest struggle right now 
his biggest struggle is that he and his wife have kind of gotten to this place to where they've got this American dream in their mind. And they have to let go of that. To be all in and all out. Fourth question. Where is God asking you to take a a step of faith? It may be insane. It may be on reason. But where is God asking you to take a step of faith? Where is he? With your finances, with your relationships, with the way you've managed your life, where is God asking you to take a step of faith? And then finally, how is your life building up the faith of others? Do people look at you and go, wow, man, I would love to be able to, I'd love to be able to live with that kind of faith. The children of Israel, they marked that moment They could go back and say, we were there. We saw it happen. Is your faith stepping out, fueling the faith of others? People watching you. Two weeks from today, Gail and I will be back in Louisville, Kentucky, at the church that we had the privilege of pastoring. But not only that, but we were a part of that church from the very beginning. We started with two other families. We left a church of 2,400 in Knoxville, moved to Louisville with a promise of 13-week salary and two other families. And now, 30 years later, they're inviting us back to celebrate their 30th anniversary. And the amazing things that God has done through that church is just phenomenal. And we, our kids can tell that story. I can tell you the stories like I told you today. Don't you want to be a part of something like that? And you are. But it's just the beginning. And we're at that moment as a church where God's saying, just let me show you what's coming next. And he wants us to step out and to be ready, to be willing. To be all in and all out. And then we'll see the amazing. Being from Kentucky, if you haven't already figured it out, I'm not from around here. But being from Kentucky, especially in Louisville, living a block and a half away from Churchill Downs, every spring you get caught up in the Kentucky Derby. It's, all, it's just a part of the culture. And over the years, we lived about a block and a half away, and we watched derby after derby and all that goes with it. I won't describe all, but you get the picture. But on October 2nd, 1989, in one of those famous horse farms just outside of Lexington, Kentucky, all of Kentucky grieved because Big Red died. Big Red, in 1973, came on the scene as Secretariat, ran and set the standard for all thoroughbred racing. Secretariat was a horse like no other horse. And after Secretariat died, they did an autopsy. Several doctors were there, and they began to do the autopsy. And everything was normal. Everything was normal with the exception of the heart. 
All the valves were right, everything, but it was the size of the heart. Most horses, thoroughbred, their, horse, their, their heart weigh nine pounds. Secretariats weighed 13 pounds. A third larger, the, uh, the autopsy report said, than any heart they had ever seen before. And then they added, after seeing the size of his heart, we understood how he did what he did. It's the size of our heart. All in, all out, fully his. And then, watch out. The amazing is just behind. Personally and corporately. Let's pray together. Father, we are so thankful for your moving and speaking into Josh's mind and heart to be able to cast for us last week a vision of the future. And we look back as we did with him last week and we see how you've answered prayer after prayer after prayer. Whether it be for an office space or community engagement or young couples are to see many come to faith like we did this last year and you've been so faithful but now we're trusting you as you take us into a future personally in our own personal lives, hopefully with our stories that remind us of your faithfulness and the almighty hand at work in our lives. We don't want to settle for that. We want to move into that promising future regardless of what obstacle is in front of us, regardless of the challenge. And we're trusting you. It's not about a facility. It's about us trusting you to show us what you have in mind. So that there can be a legacy of a life-giving church throughout all this community and beyond, seven days a week, 24 hours a day, making Christ known, providing compassion ministries, being so valuable to the community that the community can't imagine us not being there. God, thank you for these very simple words and we have to take it and make it personal, every one of us. We don't know what that's going to look like, whether financially or relationally, or what we need to do in our own personal lives. But God, we want to be there. We don't want to miss out and just hear the stories. We want to tell the stories and be a part of them. So today, Father, call us out. Show us what we need to get rid of and we need to be real about. Stop pretending about. Show us what we need to let go of. And help us to be ready. When the moment comes when you say, here, I'm going to take you where you've never been before. And it's going to be amazing. We look forward to that. And we thank you that it's all rooted in the promise you kept when you sent your son. It's all rooted in the cross. Because that promise of the cross and the empty tomb are the assurance that everything you're calling us to do and be will be fulfilled. In Jesus' name, we would ask that you would move in our hearts today. Amen.